0: I hope and pray that each one of you had a, a wonderful Christmas. I know that Sarah and I enjoyed being able to spend time with our daughters, and we tried to do kind of like a FaceTime Zoom meeting with our sons, one in Georgia, one in Texas. And we had a heck of a time with that. Our, our internet out where we live up where our houses is, is so stinking slow that it's really hard to to be able to do that, but we were able to see them, and we exchanged names, and we got to see everybody open at least one gift, so it was nice to be able to do that, Um, and we had Sarah's mom down uh, for about four days, so it was really nice, Uh, we enjoyed it, I hope that you had a a great Christmas as well. Um, I had this in my, and I lost it, it was on my desk, so I had to run back and get it, but this book right here. Nofel Staten wrote and published this book back in 1977 called Grow, Christian, Grow. Anybody have it? Anybody own that book? Okay. In this book, what he does is he highlights the lives of 19 biblical characters who grew in their faith to God. Uh, Many people that I knew when I was in college, this is about when the time that book came out, um, either had the book or had read the book. It's very short, only about 112 pages. You could read it in an afternoon, um, but has an extremely powerful message to it. But the question I have for you is this. Do you ever think about your spiritual growth? Do you ever do that? Can it be said of you or myself, Grow Christian, Grow? Can it be said of us? You know, we, like Ryan was saying here, we, we stand on the cusp of an old old year, looking back, and a new year, looking forward, to this this new year with goals and ambitions. I mean, if you want to call them resolutions, you can call them resolutions. I would prefer to call them goals or ambitions. So, how do we know if we are really growing in the Lord from year to year? So, so looking back at what we just celebrated, think back to what we just celebrated. Another Christmas has come and gone, okay? And perhaps maybe in your house, your tree is still up. I know some people who, I mean, the day after Christmas, it's down, everything's put away, oh, back to normal. you know. But in our household, in our, our home here, and our home up in Williamsport, both of our trees are still up. The one up in Williamsport will probably be up until about March. <laughs> Actually, we wanted to think about decorating this tree here for each of the seasons, like at, at Valentine's in February, to do red and red and white lights. And then in March do the green and white lights. And then for Easter, we were thinking about putting the Easter egg bulbs. No, I'm not I'm just kidding, we won't do that, but but anyway, so you know, the 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 only the only difference between before Christmas and after Christmas is this is that it looks mighty empty underneath that tree right now. So all that's left of the turkey are maybe a few bones. That's about it. Trash bags stuffed with wrapping paper are either in the burn barrel or or they're lining the streets waiting to be picked up. You know, visiting family members have returned home except for Cousin Eddie. (laughs) And some of you will get that. (laughs) Except for Cousin Eddie. The excitement of Christmas built for weeks to this, this crescendo is now over. It's gone. Christmas 2023 is in the past. It's gone. And I think to myself, man, how time flies. I just can't believe it's gone. It's, it's over with. And I told you guys this last week that I had been thinking about this. I had been thinking about how many more Christmases do I have left to celebrate? You know, if I live to be 75 years of age, which I'm not sure how long I'll live, I only have 13 Christmases left to celebrate. That's a bummer. <laughs> but it helps me to put things in perspective as to what, what's really important in this life and the time that we have left. You know, the, 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 the story of that first Christmas is a lot like this and what I'm talking about. You know, the, the weeks and the months leading up to Jesus' birth were just so bustling. I mean, just filled with activity. You know, you had you had the angels' appearance, and, and they appeared in several different places. You had wedding arrangements that had to take place because Mary and Joseph were, were going to get married. Um, you had the census taking place where they had to go to their own town. You know, they had the journey to Bethlehem, you know, which isn't that easy to do considering what we have in in this day and age to get us from place to place. You had the birth of the king. You had the shepherds coming to the, the stable there and then leaving and sharing the good news. Then you had the magi coming to the house that Jesus was in. And they stopped and they worshiped him and then they praised him and they gave them those gifts. You know, eight days later, we see that the baby Jesus is presented in the temple as normal young men were, young babies, uh, uh, male babies were presented in the temple where where Simeon and Anna both praised his arrival. They were expecting him. But then, after all that said, then there's nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, from, from that day forward, Until Jesus begins his messianic ministry, which most people would say he was right around 30 years of age when he began his messianic ministry, the scripture is almost all but silent about Jesus. You know, aside from Mary and Joseph losing Jesus at the temple, 30 years of our Lord's life are reduced to one single sentence. Do you know what it is? Do you remember the sentence? But this sentence is extremely insightful. The Bible sums up the most important life that ever lived on this planet like this. From Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Grow, Jesus, grow. That's what it says. Jesus grew. You know, I don't know about you, but I need to grow too. I always need to grow. You know, um, I realize I'm immature. <laughs> I need to grow. I need to grow as much as I possibly can. You know, the, this, the, this growing in, in a lifetime, you know, it, 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 it takes a lifetime for our Christian life to completely develop. It's not just we're here, we've arrived, and that's it. It's a lifetime of growth, a constant growth. Growth. And so, you know, I'm, I don't know, I I just, I've decided that what I want to do this year is kind of use this verse, this passage right here, as the framework for the areas of my life that I definitely need to grow in for 2024. I'm going to use this verse as as the, kind of like that, that um, framework for that. So, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Grow, Bob. Grow, <laughs> grow, Dave. Grow, man. Come on, you can do it. You know, grow, Ginger. Grow, you know, Dixie. Grow, Dixie. Grow, you know. It's it's that's what I, grow Christian. Grow. That's what it's all about. We're supposed to be growing in the Lord. And so, in, in this single sentence, Jesus provides us with a fourfold example of how to make each year a year of growth so if you're wondering from year to year did i grow this year or did i not use this as the framework for that you know shouldn't shouldn't that be what we desire you know shouldn't that be a great desire of all of us you know to be able to look back year after year to see how we have continued to grow in our faith in the lord jesus christ Shouldn't that be important to us? So the first thing that the Bible says is that Jesus grew intellectually. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. You know, it's clear from the story of young Jesus at the temple that he loved learning. Jesus loved that. The Bible says that when his parents finally found him in the temple, and they were were a little upset with him, but when they finally found him in the temple he was as Luke 2:46 says he was sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were just absolutely amazed by him. They were just amazed at what Jesus would do. So what's amazing to me is that Jesus the very man, the very God-man, who authored my DNA, who scattered the constellations in the sky, needed to grow in wisdom. I don't understand that completely. I don't completely understand that. But the Bible tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through it says, who being in very nature God, talking about Jesus here, did not consider equality with God as something to be to his own advantage, rather... He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself and he by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus steps out of his throne room and comes down to earth and he becomes a man. He did not consider this equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, what he does is he becomes a man. He gave up his divine privileges and was born as a human being, just like we were. But, you know, I, I, as I was writing this, I was thinking, wait a minute, but wait a minute, though. Isn't, and I had to, I asked myself this question, isn't Jesus God? Well, sure he is. If so, how how could he have grown in wisdom? You know, do, does, does God not already know everything? I want to share some ideas To give you a clearer picture. To begin with, I don't believe that this verse is diminishing the deity of Christ one bit whatsoever. Um, But it is a statement, absolutely a statement that shows Jesus' humanity. It does show his humanity. You know, this, I, I believe that this is essential to the Christian belief about the nature of Christ that while on earth he was truly God and he was truly man. He was both. 100, not 50-50, 100% to 100%. So Christ grew as a human being through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the work of the Holy Spirit played a crucial role in his physical, intellectual, and spiritual growth. You know, Jesus grew and developed as any other child would grow and develop, with one exception. Do you know what that exception was? He was without sin. He was without sin. He did not possess any of the detriments of a sinful nature. See, Jesus' earthly development in wisdom and understanding was an operation of the Holy Spirit resting upon him. Even Isaiah, remember Isaiah in the Old Testament, he prophesied concerning Jesus' development when he said this in in Isaiah chapter 11 2. He said, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He's talking about Jesus there. He's talking about how many, 700 years ago, before Jesus was born, he was already talking about Jesus, that this is what would happen. So Jesus, being fully God, humbled himself to the point of being an infant, and and gradually his... His human abilities were developed and increased through the Holy Spirit's power and guidance. That's what it's all about. So to assume that Jesus lost his omniscience or or ceased to, to be God is incorrect. Jesus voluntarily suspended the use of those qualities and subjected himself to the natural way every human being grows and learns. And thank goodness Thank goodness he was willing to do that because if you look over, and I don't have this up here, so I'm just reading this to you because I thought about this this morning. Looking over here at at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, this is what it says. It says, therefore, since we have a high priest, talking about Jesus here, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, for we do not... For we do not have a high priest, he says, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So see, that's why Jesus had to do it, because he became our high priest. He was the one who went before us in every way that we have been tempted to sin. He was tempted in those ways but was without sin. And so he inherited our limitations, unfortunately. You know, it reminds me of the little boy that, that asked his mom this question. She goes, he goes, Mom, where, where did I get my intelligence from? That's a loaded question. And his mom thought about it for a second. And she says, well, I guess you must have gotten it from your father because I still have mine. <laughs> great answer mom, great. <laughs> Jesus got his wisdom from his father, that's for sure. Jesus and that Jesus continued to grow in wisdom reminds us that no matter how old we get, how how educated we think we are, we should never stop learning and growing. Never. You know, and, and it's important To remember that that knowledge and wisdom are not synonymous with one another. Rather, wisdom is the application of knowledge. It is the application of And it's often learned through experience. Mark Twain once said this. I like what he said. He says, we should be careful to take from our experiences only the wisdom that is in it. Makes sense. Wise statement there. So apparently, some of the children that I'm going to share with you followed Mark Twain's advice. They listened to the wisdom of these children and and especially from their all their collected experience. Um, Listen to what Patrick had to say. Patrick, who is age 10, said this. This is his wisdom through experience. He says, never trust a dog to watch your food. (laughs) Isn't, Isn't that the truth? Michael, who was age 14, says, when your dad asked, do I look stupid to you? Don't answer the question. Lydia, who was age 11, said this. From experience, she says, When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> That's so true. And then Davey, who was age 14, says, Never tell your mom her diet is not working. <laughs> that is for sure. Well, you know, hopefully. We all learn from experience. Hopefully, we all do that. But I think a good way to commit to a very solid means of growing in wisdom, I mean, absolutely growing, in wisdom, is to commit to reading through the book of Proverbs. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you know, read it on a daily basis. Read, absolutely, read on it. The, the book of Proverbs opens with these words. Here's what it says The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. That's what the book of Proverbs was written for, for you to gain wisdom and instruction. And so I say, read through the book of Proverbs. This book is to help us understand the insights of the wise. And, And ultimately, all wisdom comes from God. So if we want to grow in wisdom, we need to turn to God's word. We need to be in his word. Turn to God's word and listen carefully to what he tells us. You know, so I hope you'll join me in that pursuit. I've already asked you to use Luke 242 as the framework for your, for your daily life this year, but I'm going to ask you to join me in the pursuit this year. If you read Proverbs with me, you know there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. Most months have at least they, they have well this year's leap year so February have 29 days in it. Some months have 30 days, some have 31 days. There's 31 chapters. So you can read a chapter a day. Just look at the day. If it's the 6th, read chapter 6. If it's if it's um, leap year uh, which is this year and it's the February the 29th, Read chapter 29, 30, and 31, because you're not going to have thirty and thirty-one in that month. But take time to do that. Because that's what it says. It is for gaining wisdom and instruction, wisdom and understanding. So I hope that you'll do that. So Luke goes on to tell us that Jesus not only grew in wisdom, but it says that he also grew in stature. Um, another translation puts it very simply: this: Jesus grew physically. That's what he did. He grew physically. Now, now most of us are done growing physically. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you're done growing physically. <laughs> because I'm telling you what, between Thanksgiving and New Year's, I think I've gained a few pounds. And some of you guys out there look like you have too. So so we have, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> so so now it's our time to, um, after the holidays have passed, you know, we got a little work to do. You know, survey shows that some of the most common New Year's resolutions are these. Losing weight, going to the gym, eating healthier food, stopping the smoking, and and giving up desserts. Oh, I can't believe it. Giving up desserts. No. No. Remember, dessert spelled backwards is stressed. And when you get stressed, you got to eat desserts. The fact that Jesus was a healthy, active young boy who grew physically, it reminds us of the importance of being healthy and taking care of our, ourselves physically. We really need to do that. The Bible says, for instance, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we ought to use them in a holy and healthy way. You know many of the laws given through Moses in the Old Testament instructed the Israelites. It instructed them on what to eat and what not to eat. Um, Jesus himself followed these dietary laws and was also very physically active. I'm sure Jesus was very physically active. You know, he was working as a carpenter for for most of his life, long before power drills and table saws were invented. It was not an easy job. So if you browse the bookstores, you're going to find, I mean... My wife and my daughter drugged me to, to two different Goodwill stores yesterday, and you should have seen all the books, especially in this one place. I mean, there were so many books there, and as I was walking down, it was aisle after aisle of diet books. Oh my word, I couldn't believe, it. and they're, they're in the Goodwill store, where, where they should be, I guess, I don't know. But, you know, we're browsing through, there's, there's hundreds of books on diet and health, and you know, some of those are, are by Christian authors, actually. Um, one of those would be the, the Maker's Diet by by Jordan Rubin. How about this one? It's another book, uh, Christian book. was Eat With Joy, Redeeming God's Gift of Food by Rachel Stone. Um, what about this one? You know, what would Jesus eat? WWJE, what would Jesus eat? You know, the ultimate program for eating well, feeling great and Living Longer by Don Colbert. But one of the really popular books that I know a lot of Christians have have followed has been out since 2013 was a book that was written by Rick Warren. Do you remember it? Anybody remember it? It's called The Daniel Plan. The Daniel Plan. And if you're not familiar with the story, let me tell you. Daniel becomes an advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And one of the perks of his new position was room service. He would get room service all the time. And each day an attendant would bring a buffet fit for a king to Daniel's door. I mean, absolutely a great one. Which he shared with his fellow advisors, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel Daniel was a godly man and he did not want to defile himself by eating meat and wine that was sacrificed to pagan gods or any other unclean food. So Daniel asked the the chief of staff for permission to eat only vegetables and drink only water. That's what he wanted to do. So the chief of staff agreed only for a 10-day period to do this 10-day trial because he feared for Daniel's health. But here's what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verses 15. He says, At the end of the 10 days... They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine. They were to drink and and, and gave them vegetables instead. Now imagine those other guys. They must have been pretty mad at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they got their good food taken away from them. But, But that's what happened. You know, I don't know if a vegetable-only diet is what you're looking for, but regardless of your goals, whether you want to shed some pounds, get fit, or just cut out all the preservatives and the junk food, eating well and staying active will help each of us be healthier and happier in this coming new year. We all want to lose weight. It seems like it anyway. For me, the vegetable diet is only going to work... If those vegetables were cooking bacon fat. <laughs> Does that sound good? <laughs> That's the way it'll work for me. So, so let's remember what the Apostle Paul advised Timothy to do. Here's what he said. For physical training is of some value. Physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That's what he says. You know, while, while there is great value in physical fitness, there is something even better, which leads us to the third way that Jesus grew. Notice what it says there. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. With well, favor with God. In other words, Jesus lived a life that pleases God and Jesus' desire was to constantly try to put a smile on God's face. You know, we, we often forget that God does have emotions, that God is a God of emotions. He, he, he feels things very deeply. You know, the Bible tells us that God grieves, that he gets jealous and angry, that he feels compassion, that he has pity and sorrow and sympathy upon us. God loves He delights, he rejoices, he enjoys, he even laughs. That's what the Bible tells us. So God has emotion. So remember in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus had been baptized by John, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and and, and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That's what he says. I totally believe that Jesus made the smile of God a goal in his life. Hmm. I want to do that. I want that to be a goal in my life too. Don't you? To bring a smile on God's face? So how do you bring a smile to God's face this year? How do you do that? If you look up every verse in the Bible that speaks of God's favor or pleasing God, like Ephesians 5.10, find out what pleases the Lord. That, that's one of the passages. You know, the answers to that question seem almost, I mean, insanely broad. It's, it's just a broad question. Broad answers to that statement there. Some verses speak of righteousness or purity. Others speak of faith and obedience. Some speak of of worship or the fear of the Lord. But see, there's one passage in particular that I think really stands out that, that stood out to me. While writing to the church at Colossae, which that was one of the churches we talked about earlier, Paul writes this. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of the the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God. That's what he tells us. Paul prayed that these Christians would live lives that always pleased God. And that they would accomplish this by knowing God and God's will better and better. You know, I I think what pleases God the most is when we pursue Him. When we pursue Him. Paul says something similar to this in the sermon on Mars Hill. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 17, he had come to this place and he was talking to these folks and he says this he says from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands god did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for we live for in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of the po- his, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God created each one of us so that we would pursue and discover him. That's what his desire is for us. And I hope and pray that that is our desire. My, my, my question for each of us here today is this. What are you, what are we doing to pursue God? What are we doing to pursue God? I think that's a a valid question for us to ask. I think that there's there's answers to that question. You know, you could pursue God by spending more time in prayer and devotion to him or maybe starting a prayer time and devotion time with him. You could pursue God by reading the next Max Cato book that comes out. He always has some pretty good books. You could pursue God by studying the, the evidence of his existence. Um, Josh McDowell has some great books on that. Um, you could pursue God by, by surrendering more of your life to him, surgically removing those sinful habits that you always go to, or beginning a new ministry that glorifies him, regardless of how you do it, If you want to grow in favor with God this year, then you have to purposely pursue him. We have to purposely want to get to know him better and better. The last thing that I'm going to share with you this morning is this. Finally, is that Jesus not only grew in favor with God, but he also grew in favor with man, with people. See, Jesus was, I believe he was a social person, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about being on Facebook kind of stuff. You know, Jesus attended weddings. He attended festivals. He attended funerals. He surrounded himself with close friends. You know, he spent his time with real people, people that really mattered to him. You know, Jesus said this in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. He says, you know, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's telling us. You know, so so God, God wired you and me with a real need to connect to other people. We have to do that. And I, I think this need... You know, is even in showing up in people's New Year's resolutions. They, they, they share this. You know, recent polls show that more than 50% of Americans vow, they, they make these resolutions to appreciate their loved ones and spend more time with family and friends this year. That's what they, that's what their desire is to do. And so I think we should all make that vow, especially when it comes to our church family. There are dozens of one another passages in the scripture. You know, the Bible tells us to love one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, accept one another, greet one another, teach one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and the list goes on. Gene Getz was a, 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 previous, a, a an author that wrote a bunch of these books, you know, serving one another, loving one another. So, you know, the the list goes on and on and on. But you know what? We can't do anything of those things if we're not together. We have to be together. We need to be together. And you know what? That's the difficult part about the day and age we're living in because COVID and everything that happened with COVID is pushing all that away from us. And we cannot allow that to happen. You know, I went to the doctor this past week and they said, you need to wear, it's mandatory to wear a mask. I'm thinking, oh, brother, you know, here we go again. You know, we're in an election year, you know, and that's the frustration about it, you know, and, and I just, it just angered me. And I almost left the doctor's office because I wasn't, you know, I'm, I don't want to be in that position. And I, and I, and I got to remember I am a Christian, so I got to be nice. <laughs> and that's hard. But it, those things, what I'm talking about there, those things, are pushing us away from being together. And as a family, we need to be together. So, um, and I think that's why it's important for us to come together as a church family every week. You know, I will look out here. We have several people missing today. And it's very frustrating. Because I know that many of those people are homesick. And we've told you to stay home if you're not feeling well. But it's so important that we be together as a family of of believers. And so, um, and I believe that God thinks so too. God tells us in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we need to be encouraging one another to to be together because we have this day approaching that's not going to be good for some people anyway. So unfortunately, in many cases, as I was doing this study, I realized that, found this um, statistic that the average weekly attendance in a lot of churches is shrinking. But studies in church growth show that it isn't because... There are fewer members, but rather the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend less frequently than they did a few years ago. Members themselves attend less frequently. I I know what that's like, you know, to, to have that job that takes you away from church. And we have people here who they can't help it, they have to work on Sunday sometimes. That's the way it goes. But it's those other times when you don't have to work that really prove whether or not you want, want to be here because you need to be here. I I got that. You know, when I was in high school, I attended church, I attended youth group, I did sports after school, and I worked a job for 35, 30 to 30, 30, 25 to 35 hours a week. I worked this job. I worked at Nichols Department Store. I was the automotive guy. And my buddy was in the sporting goods, so we spent a lot of time back and forth. But what I did in my job, when I got hired, I told them right up front, I said, I cannot work on Wednesday night. Wednesday night is our youth group time. And I'm going to be there at youth group. And I can't work on Sunday mornings early because I have church. But I can be here at 1 o'clock and I will give you every bit of that time. And fortunately for us, Nichols closed at five o'clock. So I was able to get out of Nichols and then go right straight to church to youth group on Sunday evenings. And I did that because it was important to me. Church was important to me. Youth group was important to me. That's why I did it. And see, now my point isn't just about church attendance. Rather, my point is this. Jesus made it a priority to put time and energy into the people that mattered. We need to do the same thing. Shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Putting time and energy into the people that matter in our lives. Maybe for you that means being more consistent with your attendance, church attendance. Maybe it means inviting someone from church over for dinner Or maybe it means going out to lunch together. You know, maybe it means showing up at your your grandson's baseball game or your granddaughter's recital. Or maybe it means getting off of your Facebook or your phone and having a real face to face conversation with someone that you deeply care about. I don't know how many pictures I've seen where everyone in the room is looking at their phones. I bet you anyone in our congregation who has gone on to be with the Lord, if they had it to look back on would say to you, "Get off your phones you know it, it it's really important that we get off our phones you know look at look at the landscape of our own congregation, guys, just look at the landscape of our own congregation and how things have changed in just one year, just one year. Those of you who have lost loved ones. You know, we lost June. You know, she was here for the November Senior Saints and then wasn't able to be here for the December Senior Saints. We lost her. You know, it, it's it, these things happen quickly and, and it, it shows how frail human life is. It is very frail. Here one day, gone the next. It can even come down to hear one minute go on the next. What I'm saying is this. We should make the most of every opportunity we have to be able to spend together. Because it can be taken away from me just like that. And I'm not standing here to criticize anybody. I make observations just like you do. But that's important. And it's important to the Lord that we spend time together. So in closing this morning, you know, I don't know if you're the type of person that makes resolutions or sets goals. You know, I'm not really a resolution person, but I do like to set goals. And my hope for you and for me is that this year will be the best year of growth in the Lord ever. And I pray that like Jesus, each of us will grow in wisdom and stature in favor with God and his people. Not just this year, but for many years to come. You know, also, we're going to encourage you this year to read through the Bible again. It's It's in your bulletin, if you got your bulletin. There's a little script there. Only this year, we're going to have you do it in chronological order. So it's going to be a little different than it was last year, but we want you to do that. And, and if you have time, we, I want to encourage you to to do as I asked you earlier to read through the book of Proverbs, do one proverb a day. If you do that, you will read through the book of Proverbs twelve times this next year. That would be awesome to be able to see that. And also, we're not just asking you to read in your bulletin. now it's not there this year but or to this week, but it will be next week. And um Jeronelle wrote them out. They're on pieces of paper, I think, out in the lobby there. We're going to encourage you to memorize. Oh, no, Bob, don't make me memorize. You know, but we're going to try to encourage you to memorize. We're going to do two verses a month. Two verses a month. Anybody can do two verses a month. Come on. That's 24 verses in one year if you memorize all 24 verses. And they're easy verses to memorize. I love most of those passages. I love them. I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it. Question for you. How many of you read through the Bible this year? Raise your hands. Okay, come up here. Everybody come up here. No, I'm serious. Everybody come up here. Everybody, if you raised your hand, come up here and stand right here. I want want these folks to come up here. Come on. Come on, Dave. You're moving a little slow there, buddy. Uh, look at these people. We issued the, the challenge last year for you to read through the Bible. We always recognize people for their accomplishments in worldly matters. We need to recognize folks in spiritual matters. I want you to give these folks a round of applause because they deserve it. They read through the Bible in one year. I appreciate you guys. I'm hoping and praying that you'll do it again this year in chronological order, that you'll read Proverbs, and that you'll memorize your scriptures. Praise the Lord. I thank you for these folks. You can go sit down. I appreciate you very much. But I wanted to recognize them because I think it's important that we recognize that that, what a great job to be able to read through the scriptures you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so this morning, I'm going to have the band come forward right now, if you guys will come on up. This morning, if you would like to commit to these goals, to make these commitments known, if you have other needs that you need to, to share with us this morning, if you have need of prayer or if you need to be immersed into Christ this morning, whatever that issue is, we offer an invitation to you this morning to come and to give your life to the Lord, come to have prayer with us, you know, or if it means to be baptized, you know, whatever it is, we offer that to you this morning. We're going to have you stand and we're going to close our time with the, our closing song.